Well, again, it's good to see you this morning as we continue looking in the book of Luke. We're in chapter 6, beginning in verse 27 this morning. The National Retail Federation predicts that Americans will spend $25.8 billion on Valentine's Day in 2024. Now, I know each of you want to do your part, but uh, sometimes things may be tight, and so I came across some ideas, some ways to be able to spend less this Valentine's Day, and I, I thought I'd share them with you. One of the suggestions is to uh, consider making a homemade card rather than uh, buying. That was not suggested by Hallmark, but uh, it was suggested. You can find a recipe that mimics your spouse's or your family's favorite dish and make it at home rather than go out to eat. That was provided by the National Restaurant Association. You can find discount coupons in order to make things less expensive. Coupons always help. Now, there are a couple more ideas that uh, I came across, and they may save money, uh, but these may not bring good results. Uh, you can believe them when they say, you don't need to get me anything. <laughs> Save you money, maybe not good results. Uh, one, one suggestion was to buy candy after Valentine's Day at a discount or an, in the discount bin. And uh, the longer you wait, the greater the discount. And say, you know, say their birthday is in uh, March or April. You can sort of combine the two. Buy some uh, out-of-date Valentine's candy and, and give it to them for Valentine's slash birthday. Again, you'll save money. may not be wise. Or maybe you're in a dating situation. And so the suggestion that was given is that you break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend on February 13th. And then you don't have to get them anything. <laughs> Just a little hint on that one. If you ask them to be your boyfriend or girlfriend again on the 15th, they may say no. But uh, anyway, Valentine's Day. Love is a topic that we love to think about, especially around this time of year. God has a lot to say about love. In fact, the Bible tells us that God is love. And the love that God displays is, is so much different than we often consider as love. The love that God displays is a love that is both unconditional and sacrificial. And as we continue here in Luke chapter 6, Jesus shares what that love should look like when we as Christ followers demonstrate this reckless love. This love that goes against the flow. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing on his word this morning. Father, as we come to you, Lord, help us to demonstrate a love that you have demonstrated in our lives. Lord, encourage us as we're called to love one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see this love, and, and we see the extent of the love that God talks about, this reckless love, in verses 27 through 31. 
It says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, do also to them likewise. The extent, it's a, it's a far-reaching extent in this reckless love. He tells us that we're to love our enemy. This reckless love of loving our enemy that Jesus demonstrated, he loved those people who hated him and would eventually kill him, and he knew the outcome. He knew their thoughts. He knew their plans, but he loved them anyway. His love did not waver when people disappointed him. He didn't give up on them. How easy is it for us when, when we try to love someone and they don't respond well or they just seem like a lost cause and we say, you know, it's no use. I give up. Jesus Christ never does. We're to love our enemy. We're also to bless those who curse us. We're called to speak well of that person even when they speak evil of us. An ex-spouse or an ex-friend or that person in the office that feels their goal is to make you look bad. How do you respond? We're called to resist the temptation to get down to their level, no matter how unfair that may be. We need to bless those who curse us. We need to pray for those who mistreat us. What do we want? We want justice or retribution. We want revenge. Instead, God calls us to leave the vengeance up to him, and we're told to pray for those people who mistreat us. We must be willing to give up our rights. The Mosaic Law stated that a coat must be returned before sunset. There were certain things you couldn't do, and one was to take and keep a person's coat even if they owed you money. But Jesus said that not only are we to not demand the right of getting our coat back, but we're to be willing to give up even more. Matthew 6 also includes a response to a Roman soldier. Say when one asked you to go with them a mile, go with them a two. The background to that was the Romans, being the conquering people, had the ability to cause the Jews and other conquered people to be their servants. And so a soldier <clears throat> could ask a Jew to take their pack, their supplies, and carry it for a mile. But in order not to abuse this, they were only required to go a mile. But what did Jesus say? When you go that mile, instead of having that bad attitude and exactly one mile, you plop that stuff down, I'm not going a step further. Instead, say, I'm going to go with him the second mile. I'm giving up my rights in order to demonstrate love to that person. But what's our natural response? Our natural response is to be angry, to get back at that person who has mistreated or hurt us. Oh, yeah, we may pray, but it, it's often for, their, for God to make their life miserable when we're called to pray for their blessing. 
Last Sunday was a little more difficult to get here than today. The roads were sort of icy. And and have you ever been around that person that uh, drives uh, unsafely? I remember I was going, and I was keeping up with the traffic. In fact, maybe, I don't know, some people maybe said I was going a little too fast for the elements. I don't think so. But, but I had a guy that went around me, got over in the other lane, sped around me, and, uh, you know, the, the, gravel, the trucks had already been out, and gravel spit up on my windshield and things like that. And I wanted to pray for him. <laughs> well, I did. I prayed, Lord. Help him when he goes into the ditch that he won't be injured too badly. Or, Lord, I just pray that you allow him today to meet a nice highway patrolman who has a wonderful discussion with him and gives him a gift when their conversation is done. I pray for him, but that's not what God's calling us to do. God's calling us to demonstrate love when it's undeserved. And then we're to respond to aggression with gentleness when someone slaps us or causes us pain, and a big emphasis of that is the humiliation. How are we to respond or to respond with gentleness? We want revenge, but God calls us to be people of grace. And then he goes on there in verse 30 and tells us to be generous even to those who are selfish. We're to respond to greed with generosity. We're to value people more than things. And we're to show grace whether the action toward us is unintentional or intentional. In other words, when they may have good intentions of repaying or even when that person steals from us. We're to respond with graciousness and generosity. And then he closes this section in verse 31 with something we're familiar with. We call it the golden rule, to treat others how we want to be treated. Now, our natural response is to treat them well when they treat us well, but to treat them poorly when they treat us poorly. Jesus tells us we're to treat them well no matter how they treat us. And then he goes on in verses 32 through 34 and and shares a high standard of reckless love. Now, he shares this in, in demonstrating what natural love looks like. And our thought needs to be that our love should look different than this natural love. Notice what it says in beginning in verse 32. It says, but if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But this reckless love is different than that. This reckless love is unconditional. We don't give in order to gain or because it's something that's deserved. Our natural response is to give love when that love is earned or when we can gain something in return. But God tells us to take it so much further, to love when it's not deserved or earned, and to love when there's no benefit that comes back toward us for our action. You see, this reckless love is supernatural. 
The prefix super means over and above. So this love is over and above what is natural. Jesus shared that giving when we receive in return of love is that what something that everyone exhibits. But as a follower of Christ, we're to love others above and beyond. And then in verses 35 and 36, we see the example of reckless love. It says, love your enemies, do good and land, hoping for nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Verse 35, beginning, you say, okay, it's verses 32 through 34. Everyone can love when they're loved. Everyone can, can love and give when they're getting things back in return. But we're to love our enemies. We're to do good. We're to lend, not asking anything in return. And then we find our example of Jesus Christ. God's love is different. It's not based on the actions of the recipient. It's not based on what we get in return. It's important when a, when a couple is married, when, a, when we do premarital counseling, one of the things we emphasize is the difference between a contract and a covenant. And oftentimes we look at marriage as a contract. Party A promises to do A, B, and C. Party B promises to do D, E, and F. And if one breaks that contract, if they don't fulfill the expectations that the other has, it's our right and our plan to break the contract. But God sees love as a covenant. I'm committing before God to love that person unconditionally, sacrificially. And that's the love that God demonstrated to us. And we're called to have that same kind of love. God is our ultimate example of reckless love. Verse 36 tells us that we're to be merciful as God is merciful. And in verses 37 and 38, we see the benefits of reckless love. 37 and 38 says, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. God is the one who, re who rewards our love. We struggle. Why should I love that person? Because as I love that person, I'm in demonstrating God's love to the world. And God is the one that I'm loving through loving that person. And God is the one I'm trying to please as I respond to his love in my life. These verses share four commands, two things we shouldn't do, two things that we should. Don't judge and we won't be judged. Don't condemn, and we won't be condemned. Forgive, and we will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to us. And verse 38, 
verse that we just read, give and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put in your bosom for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. There's a song that, that goes along those lines and it's an interesting picture. And it's the idea of when that, when that person would receive a surprise gift of grain, if they didn't bring a, a sack to carry it in, they would take their tunic and just pull up the front of it a little bit to make a little pouch, and that person would pour the grain in there, and they would hold it next to their stomach until they could take it home, that, that extra blessing. And when we love like God calls us to love... God's grace in our life will be even greater. You're probably not thinking about it today, but thinking about raking up leaves and you put it in the bag and you get this gigantic pile of leaves and you think this is going to be bag after bag after bag after bag. And so what do you do? You take and you start to put them in the bag and hopefully most of them get in. And then what do you do? Most of those leaves get in the bag, but then what do you do? You press it down. You maybe even take and put your foot in it and stomp it down and you press more. And it's amazing how many of those leaves you can get in the bag. And that's exactly what God is talking about here. See, as we love one another with this godly, unconditional, sacrificial love, we see God rewarding us. And it's not rewarding us and we give 10 bucks to someone, he gives us 20 bucks back. That's not what he's talking about at all, but God's love and grace in our lives. And it's like he's putting more and more and more and more in. And so give and it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. But the greatest gift and benefit is that the kingdom of God is advanced. You see, why do we love one another? Because the kingdom of God is advanced. When people see us reflecting the love of God, it draws them to Him. And that's what we're called to do. And he said there in verse 37 that we're children of God. We're sons of the Most High. And as part of the family, we represent the family well when we love like God's called us to love. And then we see the means of reckless love. See, the love that God calls us to love with is not natural I don't wake up in the morning thinking of ways that I can show love to my wife when she is mean to me, how I can bless those who curse me, how I can do good to those who mistreat me and pray for them. I don't think of, okay, yeah, that person was mean to me this morning. I want to be mean back. So how can I do it when it's not natural? Well, there's some things that we can recognize to help us with that. We need to recognize that reckless love is a response to God's reckless love in our lives. Verse 35 says that God is kind to the unthankful and the evil. We fit that, that category, the unthankful and the evil. We are a sinner who needs God's love and grace in our lives. And so that person who is 
mean to us, who is hurtful to us, we need to respond as God has responded to us. John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. We need to recognize that our treasure is in heaven. Matthew 9, or 6, 19-21 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, to, to demonstrate reckless love, we must hold things loosely even our, what we consider our rights. Because when we hold on to things tightly, we will not be willing to give them up in order to love others. Our treasure's in heaven. That should be our focus and goal. And we need to recognize that we imitate God when we love recklessly. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. We should have that verse sticking up all around us, maybe on the mirror in the morning, a reminder, am I imitating God today? Now, it goes on in verse 2, And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. You want to have a big life? Be an imitator of God. B-I-G. Be an imitator of God. I remember one of our first trips to Mexico, we were going to all have hats. And we were going to come up with a, a slogan, a reminder, and, and, you know, and I'm like, okay, this isn't John's trip, so we're going to have a democracy, and, and we're going to get everybody to put their ideas in, and we're going to vote on the ideas. That was a dumb idea. But anyway, that's what I felt we would do. So we did this, but I had what I knew was the best thing. We were going to have hats, and it was just going to have three big letters on it, B-I-G. And then down below it, just little Ephesians 5.1. This is great. <laughs> yeah, that sunk like a lead balloon. They chose Simota. Set your mind on things above. It sounded like a Japanese weed eater company. <laughs> so we all wore these hats that said Simota. And they said, oh, what company? You work for Simota? I've never heard of that one before. But anyway, that, that is a good verse too. Set your mind on things above. But big be an imitator of God, and we imitate, we imitate God when we love like God loves. And then we need to recognize that we love recklessly only when we rely on God. Philippians 4.13, a very familiar verse, says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now the passage here in Philippians 4 is speaking of how I can be content no matter my circumstances. That's the context of Philippians 4.13. But the principle there covers every area that requires a supernatural response, including our love. Corey Ten Boom said, you may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Jesus is all we need in order to love the way he calls us to love. 
And then we need to recognize that our love is noticed when it's not deserved. People around us will take notice when we are gracious to that person in the office who is very unkind to us. When that person who shares disparaging marks about us and we don't respond in kind, instead we show grace, people will notice because that's unnatural love. John 13.35 says, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. That's that agape love, unconditional, sacrificial love. Gary Ridgway, he was nicknamed the Green River Murderer, admitted to killing 48 women and pleaded guilty on November 5th 2003 in a Seattle courtroom. Now, we looked at his story a few years ago when we were looking at the subject of forgiveness. Family members of those who were killed, of those 48 women who were killed, had the opportunity to speak to him at his sentencing on December 18, 2003. One by one, they came to the microphone and told him how they hated him, how they hoped he had a miserable life in prison, how they hoped he lived a horrible death, and even to the extent that they hoped he rotted in hell. But then one father came forward. His name was Robert Rule. His daughter was one of the 48 who were murdered by Gary Ridgway, murders that Gary Ridgway admitted. And he had a different message. And everyone who went to that courtroom that day saw the love of God. And we have a very short clip that's going to show you, 37 seconds, what Robert Rule said to Gary Ridgway. Mr. Ridgway, um, there are people here that hate you. I'm not one of them. You've, you've made it difficult to live up to what I believe, and it is what God says to do, and that's to forgive. You are forgiven, sir. Wow. Could we do something like that? Could I do something like that? It is hard, but it is what God calls us to do. Love your enemy. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that as Almighty God, you love us when we don't deserve it, and we don't deserve it. And your love is unconditional and sacrificial. Make, Lord, help us that our love would reflect that love as we show love in the lives of others. 
spouses, family members, friends, workmates, schoolmates. Lord, help us to be known for our love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.